welcome back to Beyond Sunday. We're really glad that you chose to, to be with us uh, today. Uh, my name is Todd Neiswanger. I'm one of the pastors here at Cornerstone. I'm next to Christian Burkhart, also one of the pastors here at Cornerstone. Mm -hmm. And Spencer McCush, another one of the shepherds here at Cornerstone. I'm not one of the pastors, just, just a guy at Cornerstone. No, still there, he, still he shepherds people. He, he shepherds, shepherds people, people too. He shepherded you and I at he, times too. He has shepherded us in a lot of ways, which we're thankful for. What, what not to do. Yeah. <laughs> He's great at what not to do. He's a living example. Mm -hmm. But we are glad you're here with us. We, we're right now unpacking just some of the truths of, of First Thessalonians. Um, we'll be talking about other things besides First Thessalonians over our, you know, our, our weeks and months that are coming up. But we are so excited to just look at the amazing truths of God's Word found in, in letters like First and Second Thessalonians. But to make sure that those letters don't just, just sit out there as something that we talk about, but truly do land into our lives. There's a reality to it. And we believe wholeheartedly, all three of us do, that the best way to land those truths is in and through relationships found inside of a local church. And so that's what we're going to be doing today. Mm -hmm. And so we're moving along. Last, last week, we talked about 1 Thessalonians 1, 1 through 3. And this week, we're going to kind of dive into 1 Thessalonians 1, uh, verses 4 through, through uh, 10, 12. 10. 10. 10. End of the chapter. <laughs> End of the chapter. <laughs> Paul wrote that chapter stop, right? <laughs> Verse 10. And so we're, we're super excited to be, to be talking about it uh, today. And I think like one of the reasons, and I'll let you guys chime in as well, that I love about this section of scripture is that in Paul kind of building out of, of verses one through three, obviously God, the Father, the Son are at the very forefront. We're going to find out later. The Holy Spirit is very important in this as well. But I think what's so great is that in taking us to the throne room that we talked about last week, mm -hmm. is that all of this, when we talk about specifically hope, begins in that throne room. And he's going to tell them their story, their right. story in Jesus, right? The story of God. And in telling that particular story, He's going to make sure that they understand all of the amazing implications of what it means Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, that, man, they have this faith that truly works, and he's going to show them how it works. He's going to, there's this love that truly labors, and he's going to show them how it happens, and then he's going to bring them right back to Jesus before the Father when all things are being brought and made right by the Son, and he places them right there in that particular story as the means of giving them Yeah, well, I think it's as... Um... And I love what you just said. And I think in order to really understand the significance of that is understanding the, the content and just be reminded of the context for the, these, these, these guys in Thessalonica mm -hmm. of going, they were in a, in a church that was highly defined by their relationship to Rome. They were highly. Or a, a city that was. Yeah. City, city. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. The yeah. city that Hopefully was. Hopefully not just, their church. Yeah. So, thank you. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe that was part of the struggle, right? That's another thing that they have in common. But with. the city was so, so strongly tied to, to Rome and, and the relationship with Caesar. And, and so when they became a follower of, of King Jesus, not King Caesar, that that had pretty severe implications for them. And so, so they're experiencing great loss. And I think we see that uh, throughout the letter, but, but this, this hope that we talked about last week gets played out in what we're talking about this week, but we have to remember that it's written into a group of people 
that are experiencing um, maybe a degree of like spiritual disorientation. Yes. Who am I? Where am I? Um, man, who is my family? What am I who doing? Are my friends? What am I doing? What's God Who's, doing? Yeah, what is God doing? <laughs> yeah. So, I, so I think it's just that's the for me the part I want to make sure that we remember because man, I I can relate to that. Yes. Yeah. I think the thing I love and the thing is I've been studying this passage is that how intimately Paul ties their story to the story of what God's doing in the world and making sure that they understand there's an overarching story that they've been included into. And regardless of how they perceive, to, to your point, regardless of what you're perceiving right now, that it might feel like, like things aren't going well and things aren't coming to this wonderful conclusion, he's just going to tell them the truth flat out and say, no, our God, in reigning and ruling Jesus Christ, he's bringing all things to a phenomenal end. Mm -hmm. And so that's where we're going to go today. We're super excited to unpack that and especially to get to the idea of just implications for, for how we live our lives. So let's go ahead and let's, uh, let's move on. Let's, let's talk about some of the aspects of this passage. So Todd, in this section, like you said, Paul is taking the Thessalonian story and connecting it to what God is doing, not just in them, but in the world. And, and in some ways he, he, he doesn't try to keep it modest and small. He uses big language. It's like, wow, y'all are changing the world just from this little spot on the map. Like, is that just hyperbole? Is he just exaggerating to, to puff them up? Or yeah. does, does he truly believe that something world changing is going yeah. on here? Well, there's no doubt, right? You brought up Colossians and different books mm -hmm. like that. He, he eventually writes, which Paul did believe that the preaching of this gospel was going to turn the world upside down. Like when they said in chapter 17, man, if we let this Paul guy keep preaching, he's going to turn everything upside down. And Paul's like, yeah, that's my goal. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's what, that's what I'm trying to do here. And so he lands the message amongst them. And it says there's some, you know, a few Jews, some God fears, some women that come to know Jesus. And then he leaves town. And he doesn't know what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. He's off to Berea, right? He's going to kick it down to Athens and eventually end up in Corinth. But he's wondering what's going to happen. And he's concerned about them, right? So at, at Athens, you know, he's like, Timothy, you got to go. You got to go check on those people. Timothy goes back, right? And I, I'm just imagining Paul's heart wondering, well, what's Timothy going to say? Yeah. What's he going to come back with? And all of a sudden, Timothy comes back and he's like, Paul, you wouldn't believe it. Like, as I'm coming into to Thessalonica in Macedonia, KI, they're already talking about them. Hmm. Like, Paul, remember how your message flipped that town upside down? Well, that message is keeping on going, right? It's Jesus promising that reality of the planting of a mustard seed that was going to grow to be one of the largest trees. And so Paul, I think, as this, again, we have to let him be human. He's like gushing. Yeah. It's like, no way. Like it's taking off. And I think again, as he's even telling them their story, as they're downtrodden and beaten up, he has to tell them in the midst of their wrong perspective, here's what happened. Mm -hmm. Here's what took place, right? And he, and he, in a very fun way, he connects then the story of them into the one grander story of God. And he he takes them in these in these two really cool ways. One is he calls them the elect. Mm which I think connects back to this idea of, of faith that eventually works is that, hey, you know what? You, you, you were elect. And then we brought you a message. And after we brought you the message, you received it. Not only did you receive it, but you turned to God from living idols. You, you showed that your allegiance was no longer to, to Rome and the empire and those things. Your allegiance was truly to King Jesus. 
And then not only did that happen, but then people started hearing about it. And his, I think his whole point of that last part, especially like when he's in, in verses seven and eight, he's just, he's letting them know this faith then moved its way out to then these other people that were elect by God, that got a message, that then turned away for, or they received it, then turned away for miles. In other words, he's showing this beautiful circle of, no, it's happened. I told you it, you passed it on. And it's just, it's growing, but it wasn't then just their message. He then is going to talk about this love that they have. He, he's, he calls them these brothers loved by God. Like how powerful is that? And I think he's connecting them big time back to the family motif of, motif of it, the fatherhood of God, these ones that are loved and these ones that are loved that then saw those idols for what they were and were like, no way. Those idols that have no value whatsoever. I, my affections are now moving towards God. And not only were their affections moving towards God, but Paul had come in and modeled for them what it meant that I'm going to do this, he says, for your sake. Hmm. And then for your sake, you took that idea. You followed Christ's example that I followed. And now you are taking, and now his, again, his whole point is throughout all Achaia, your faith and love are modeling the kingdom in mm. this powerful, awesome way. In much affliction. In yes. much affliction, <laughs> it's, exactly. It's, this, is, this is where I think we, we, we lose sight of this one because you go, the thing that allowed them and allowed the, the proclamation of this like message to land in a way that was truly changing these people was, man, they suffered differently. And they suffered what Christian had talked about. I think it was last time they suffered in losing so much of what was their network. Mm -hmm. They lost yeah. their family network, their kind of their, their social network. They lost everything. And yet I think this is where Paul is going. Did you, it's almost that, that concept, right? That he who gives up even life for my sake, will what will find mm -hmm. it. Yeah. You gave up all these things, but look, yeah. There it is. Yeah, God's it's, using you to change the world, but it's done and uh, come and die, yeah, <laughs> come right. and suffer yeah. so that we might actually proclaim the kingdom of God well. And yeah. when, when Paul says that in verse six, that you became imitators of us and of the Lord because you received the word in much affliction, like that right there, church should, that's a, that's a, that's a, a verse that should reshape our imagination. What does it mean to imitate the Lord and his yeah. apostles be ready to receive God's word and propagate God's word in the midst of affliction. Yeah. Like it makes me think back several years ago when we were going through the, the book of acts and we use that analogy of a dandelion mm -hmm. that dandelions can grow in the crack of the concrete. They can grow where nothing else can grow, but how do the dandelion spread? Well, it's, when the wind blows, it scatters the, the seeds everywhere in the yeah. same way, like to recognize the power of the gospel throughout the history of the church has been shown most clearly, not when it's smooth sailing, not when life is quiet and peaceful for us, but when the wind blows and the dandelion seeds scatter, that's where you see the power of this gospel. And that's not a comfortable thing for me to want to imagine my life and my family's life like. And yet if Paul says, this is what the pattern of Jesus looked like. And not only that, this is the, this is the evidence that you were elected by God. Cause look what happened when the, the winds of trial blew. Okay. I don't have to necessarily like it, <laughs> but if this is the direction that Jesus calls me to follow, I want to trust him. There, right. Yeah. But that's what Paul does, right. As he goes, he's, he's reminding them 
of of what God's doing. Yeah. And he's reminding them of, okay, hey, um, yeah, here's what here's what happened in, in you guys, you guys responded to this message, even in the midst of all the affliction. And man, the people are hearing about this and it's going forth, which is crazy crazy cool but but he goes on and what is it seven or eight where he says you guys you you turned away from idols and so it's not just the message of like the message they're proclaiming but it's also the good news of their lives are different yes yeah that like the reputation of these people is different yeah you guys have turned from something you guys are in the midst of much affliction and suffering but man did you guys see that god actually called you to this yeah. God's accomplishing his work in you and through you. Yeah. And, and the going. work of faith and the labor of love, mm-hmm. they weren't just concepts. No. Paul no. wanted them to know it is changing the world. Mm-hmm. Yes. The, it, that's where I think this little section is so important so that we don't just go, oh, that's nice, you know, mm-hmm. uh, faith and love and, and work and labor. No, Paul's point is, is that, that reality, the work of Jesus that was coming out in that way, was turning the world upside down, mm-hmm. even at great cost. Mm-hmm. But he wanted them to see this. Now, again, imagine they're getting beat up. They're tired. They're worn out. And in fact, some even commentaries believe that there's like a lull in mm-hmm. what they're experiencing. And so it's almost like it's They've been in the middle of the first half, and they've just been out there, and and they don't see the fact that they're taking the ball up and down the field, and it's almost like you know that they it, it made it feel like you're losing, but at halftime the coach comes in and goes, "Oh, you ain't losing. Oh, you're not losing at all." Mm-hmm. And and here's this people now, and I can imagine them reading it, going, "We're not, we're not losing." And Paul's like, "Oh no no, like did you forget about?" Macedonia and Achaia. And all of a sudden, you know, it's like, oh, wow, I didn't even think to look at the scoreboard. We're actually, we are winning. Most importantly, King Jesus, who is at the right hand of the Father, is accomplishing his work. He's, 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 He's not only drawn this group of people to himself, past tense, but present tense. There's more and more that are coming to know King Jesus and seeing it modeled through that love of King Jesus in that labor, in that work that's so powerful. I think that's that's so cool because the affirmation that he brings to them, the encouragement that he brings is not, hey, good game. It's yeah. good game so far. Let's keep going. It's yeah. it's that same steadfastness, that endurance of hope. He's saying, I'm writing to you because there's a second half to play. Like, yeah. like let's get back in there and keep going because you are heading in the right direction. Which he says in chapter four, verse one, right? Yeah. Hey, I'm writing this because we got a second half to play. There's yeah. still more and more, right? He wants... He wants this still to to keep taking place, and and I think like he he brings it all to its final head again when we think, oh my gosh, is is this really functioning? Is is King Jesus really winning? And he he then uses that statement of to wait for the Son from heaven. In other words, this it's not a passive like waiting in a in a in a, a doctor's office right mm-hmm. where I'm listening to the stupid music, but it's an active waiting. It's no, you're you're doing the right thing. You're doing what you're supposed to be doing, but you're don't forget what you're waiting for. The son who's at the right hand of the father, who's coming, and this is what I think is so cool, from heaven, mm. meaning from his rightful place as king and ruler over things. He's not the ruler one day. Mm-hmm. He is coming from heaven as the ruler 
whom he raised from the dead, the validation of King Jesus' victory over sin and Satan and death, this Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come in a very powerful way. He went from past the victory of Jesus, present the victory of Jesus, and he wants to make sure there is coming a day which King Jesus will judge the world. He will set all things right. But you group of people, the ones now, go back to this, these ones that were elected, these ones that are loved by God, you will be saved from the wrath to come. You, you are not only have won, are winning, but you are a part of the team because of King Jesus that will win. Yeah. And again, I think for a group of people that perceived themselves to be so much maybe not winning, Paul has to come in and say, I don't, I don't care kind of what your perception is. Here's reality. Yeah. And I think that's super powerful what he does. I think that word wait there in verse 10 is so interesting because typically for us, waiting sounds static. It sounds stationary. Yeah. It sounds like not doing anything. But the way that he uses this word wait at the end of talking about everything that they have been doing, like it, it reframes. I mean, maybe you can talk about that a little bit. Like how does this reframe waiting from being just this passive inactive thing to being something that seems like is very active here? Yeah, well, I think especially when you look at waiting, because I think he's he's pulling in a lot of language from the Old Testament too. Yeah, yeah. Those who wait upon the Lord will sit around and do nothing. Mm -hmm. Well, no, the, the concept of waiting for the Lord had an active sense to it. There yeah. was active involvement in what God was doing. And so Paul grabs, I think, that language and, and thrusts it into this and says, hey, you know what? That people of God that have been around since Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, oh, you're part of that group of people. And they were interestingly waiting for the coming of Jesus that they never saw. Mm -hmm. But now there's a waiting for this second return of Jesus now to come. You're still part of this people of God mm -hmm. that are actively now bringing about the kingdom in what you're doing. So it's a, I think that that concept of waiting was never, ever meant to be static. Mm -hmm. The whole story of God tells us, no, it's a very active way in which we're longing for the return. We're waiting. But when King Jesus returns, will he find us faithful? Yeah, right? it, it seems interesting because it, it on on the one hand, com I find that to be compelling. Keep going, be faithful. He's going to keep saying, "Hey," he's going to say later on in this letter, "Excel still more, keep keep going with this." But it's not because you've got to get the ball over the over the goal line. Like yeah. you're going to wait for G it, it. It seems to, in some ways, protect from like an overly triumphalistic. That's a great way. We're going to do this ourselves. It's be active and faithful and work and labor and be steadfast. But ultimately, remember, the deliverer is the one who's going to finish this off. You know. Yeah. And I think that's actually a great way of putting it together. Mm -hmm. And here at the very end, as we move on to how we're going to land this, is that he is writing in, in a way to help them to stand firm. Right? Which, again, stand firm doesn't mean static. It means being the people God yeah. intends you to be. Just I think like one of the things when we think about last things eschatology, we tend to think timing. I think so much of the New Testament was an active sense of being engaged in what God's called us to do and to be active and waiting for the king to return to right all things. Yeah. And so I think this is really what he's doing in First and, and Second Thessalonians. It seems like stand, stand firm. So I just sit there, wait, sit there. Oh, no. 
we are waiting for truly the power of God to come to bear where he will write all things. We're, we're, we just, we get to beautifully be brought along yeah. in what God is doing through the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's, I want to land this with you guys. I want to land it. So uh, let's, uh, let's bring that to a close and let's, let's land this in how this, this works out in, in our relationships. That's kind of the the ideal of it, but I want to I want to land it a little bit here. I want to make sure that we don't just get excited about cuz as as you could probably tell listening to us, we're, we're super excited about it. But maybe for for you Spencer when we talk about that, what what sticks out to you personally as as we kind of recount that story? Yeah, I think I think we captured it. You guys did a good job of like framing it of going Okay, so you have this, these people that were in the midst of a tough situation. Paul's speaking and reminding them, saying, hey, God chose you. God set you apart so that in the, you, can, you can respond to this message of, of, of King Jesus. And you, and you did that. And, and now in the midst of suffering, man, you guys, your reputation is being known as those who are turning from idols and you're you're finding new families and this message of the gospel is going forward in pretty crazy ways that's amazing and then ultimately culminating in the future like hey you guys win in the end that's all awesome but I, i'm sitting here going well paul was also one who was ostracized from community <laughs> kind of on his own fly at this point was a was alone and well he had left Athens or was left behind in Athens. And then he went on to Corinth, you know, and, and so he's he's riding with this uncertainty of, man, is the work I'm doing even landing anywhere? Mm, yeah. And Can so I say he, just something real quick? Yeah, he was so downtrodden. Second Corinthians one. He feared for for even his own life. Yeah. His life at that. It was despairing. It seems like yeah, he, he was despairing, despairing yeah. at this point. No, so absolutely. We got to give make him human, right? Yeah, he, like, he wasn't like the, just a robot like, writing yeah, a letter. Paul, Paul is also in similar situation, right? Where he's discouraged and afflicted and and wondering if, man, I just left this church, this little fledgling group, and is it even landing? Is it working? And and then I sit here two thousand years later, and I go, gosh. Man, I, I've made not huge sacrifices for the gospel, but but here and there some, and and I go, man, some of the things that I do, and I look at my friends, and I go, I see the lives that they're living, and some of the hardship that they've had to endure, and I go, is God using any of this? Mm-hmm. And then and then so for Paul to write that to the church at Thessalonica, I go, it had to have been an encouragement for Paul. Yeah. And then fast forward two thousand years, and I go, oh yeah, you know what? I've seen in people's lives here in Simi Valley or other parts of the world or other places, you know, oh yeah, I've seen them endure hardship and I see them. And so you guys know me, sometimes I can be focused on the negatives and be a little cynical. <laughs> I don't have many emotions, but they, when what I do have them, about, when man? I do have them, they're usually this, negative. This so. <laughs> um, but I can be a little pissy here and there. And so just to be reminded that no, 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 like God is winning. Yeah. And, and go, oh yeah, okay. And so, I mean, for me, so, I mean, I think I think seeing both that this is an encouragement and probably like a, a therapeutic exercise for Paul. Yeah. But then I also go fast forward 2000 years. And I think for some of us, sometimes we look at the hardship that we're facing and especially coming out of the last couple of years, you go, man, just the 
we can, we can be encouraged a little bit and re- being reminded that God's God's working. Like I, I actually know people who've come to faith in Christ in the last, you know, 15 months. And I go, that's awesome. Like, yeah, let's celebrate that. You know, actually, Billy just sent me a a text message today and they were recounting like the different baptisms. And we almost had, again, I, there there were some Sundays we had, you know, three baptisms or two baptisms, Mm -hmm. but on an average, we had a baptism every other Sunday during this last year. Hmm. And I was like, we did. Like, I totally forgot about that, right? But the need to be reminded of these little stories that 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 remind us that King Jesus, who's before the right hand of the Father, is being victorious. And so, Christian, like, I'd love for you to speak to this, because you said something earlier that was so good, just the need for us to to recount this over the top of each other, right? We, we need to do this. Like, I agree with you. I told Sermon Prep a few days ago, I think Paul writing this letter was therapeutic. Oh my gosh. I think for him writing it, it was just like a reminder of the power and the goodness of God in advancing the greatest message ever, right? In these different places that he had been. And I think it's therapeutic for us to now recount it, right? And it was great for this group of people. But why do you, why do you think it's so important to keep verbalizing this to one another? Like, what is it that's so important to? Because you were kind of talking about that earlier. I think I think the the reality we talked about before the last break that there is this sense of we want to endure, but yet we're also waiting for the return of Jesus. We're waiting for Him to bring about the full conclusion. Like in the midst of that sense of waiting, in the incompleteness of where we're at right now, like. I honestly think we need that encouragement, not to be fluffed up, but to to honestly affirm one another when we see God's work at work in us, to help us to remember we actually are on this journey with Jesus. He actually is changing us. I mean, I think about what Jesus said in John 15, that like, um, apart from me, you can do nothing, but but if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. And so I do think there is a sense in which we have a a, a delightful duty to each other mm. to, I, I find this sometimes in my own life, sometimes it's it's easier to affirm people that aren't there, to <laughs> affirm them to others. Hey, I saw this person do this. It was really yeah, cool. good gossip whether or not they're right. Totally. Sometimes my wife and I can do that about our kids. And like, just to, to say, oh man, I really love the way that this child is growing in this area. And it's like, no, I want to, I want to go to them and encourage them that we all need that encouragement of, hey, look, God is at work in you. He, mm-hmm. But it's in that way. It's almost like, you know, the, 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 the distant aunt and uncle that when you were a kid, you only saw at the holidays. <laughs> and typically those were the family members who you'd see them and they go, oh my gosh, you've grown so much. You didn't typically hear that from your parents all that much unless they had to buy you new pants because they didn't fit anymore <laughs> or something like, oh man, why are you growing so fast? But like, it was those who, uh, maybe there's a little bit more space in terms of how often they interact with you that that sometimes could put their finger on, wow, look at the progress yeah. that you've made. And I think in some ways, even with those that we spend a regular time with as believers, this is something that we that we need from each other. There is a spiritual discipline of affirmation that I want to grow in in practicing with those around me. Um, because like, like you said, it is both therapeutic in a certain way or encouraging to that person. And especially when it's someone that you're walking with, it should be encouraging to your own soul too of, I have a stake in your life. I get to be a part of what 
God's doing in it in some way that I, it's not about putting a feather in my cap, but I'm part of the calculus of the, the recipe of what God's doing to continue to shape you the image of Jesus. And that should be what we want as well, is not just to know that we're growing personally, but to know that we get to be a part of helping to build others up. Like, I do think this is the, like affirmation becomes the, 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 um, the supercharger that like, gets a little more horses out of the engine, you know, so that we can like have more uh, uh, impetus to keep going together. Yeah. I think it's that in like, just listening to you right now, the need to encourage yeah. mm -hmm. is something that I don't know if the church does well. Like I, I think I don't do it well. I know well, that. I'm going to confront you on yeah, that. Yeah, thank but, you. So I appreciate you confessing your sin right now. Hey, but. you're doing a really good job at confronting me <laughs> yeah. right now. I just want to encourage you with that. <laughs> so, yeah. But there's that side of it where it probably is a practice that we're going to have to get better at as local churches mm -hmm. to really see and then affirm and speak to the power of God in the lives of people. Again, not 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 maybe. You know, the attaboys that are meaningless. I'm talking like that real stuff where we see the power of God that's connected to that sure election in their lives, that's connected to the fact that they're loved by God, the fact that it's it's producing, to your point, this fruit that is that is it has to be explained. Yeah. And and I think that is really one of the things when I was studying this text. The need to celebrate the work of God, we, we need to become better at it. And almost like ask God to give us his perspective on people. Because I, like you said, I don't want to just make this stuff up. That doesn't actually do mm -hmm. anything. But God, would you give me eyes to see? Would you also help me get my eyes off of myself mm -hmm. so that I can pay attention to what you're doing? And then a mouth right. to speak. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just going, it's it's the, when we turn away from idols... And because our hope, you know, coming out of verse three, our hope is in Jesus. We've turned away from idols. Man, when you do that, it sounds out to the community that your lives are different. Yeah. We should celebrate that in, in, in pretty amazing ways. But unfortunately, and this is where I do want to, because this is, Paul's being encouraging here, which is which is awesome. But there is a flip side to this coin, which is the it demands a transformed life, though. They have mm -hmm. to be people who have turned away from idols. When we turn from idols, because our hope is in Jesus, mm -hmm. we will live differently. In the not-too-distant past, I've seen people in the church celebrating like being the opposite of the fruit of the spirit. They didn't celebrate peace, joy, patience, kindness, mm -hmm. virtue, self-control. In fact, they condemned those things as weakness or as not taking a strong stand. You know what I mean? And going, mm -hmm. and so what kind of reputation of the kingdom of God was going forward? And I go, no, 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 There's a we need to turn from that and celebrate the right things. And I think if we celebrate the fruit of the spirit, and celebrate the turning from idols, then we would, to your point, we, we fuel that kind of, kind of kick the turbo boost in a little bit, but it necessitates a turning from idolatry. That's true. Yeah. Which that is going to be, I think in some ways, first Thessalonians is a very encouraging letter in which he celebrates second Thessalonians has confrontation, which I think we also stink at, which is interesting. We're, we're, not, we're not good at either end of that. 
but there, you're exactly right. We don't want to celebrate non-works of God. Mm-hmm. We want to celebrate the work of God. Yes. Because I think like for those of us that are followers of Jesus, how hollow is it to celebrate something that that has no ring or tone or anything to do with, with King Jesus at the forefront of mm-hmm. it? So... Well, I just wanted to thank all of you for being with us today. I think that's a great place to to bring it to a close. I pray that uh, that you're excited. And I would just say this, like one action point might be to what Christian said, uh, get your eyes off yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and not only get your eyes off yourself, but start to watch and to see around you as your brothers and sisters in Christ, you see the power of God in their lives. And when you see that obvious biblical truth, fruit of the spirit stuff that begins to come out of their life, would you please take the time and just tell them, man, I see the power of God in you and speak that truth over them. So thanks for joining us with for Beyond Sunday. I, I pray that this week that you live the amazing truths of King Jesus. God bless y'all.